We got Sunday to rest here. It's no Friendsgiving oh. Got it. All right. So, some folks that were were here last week. Um, what kind of how did the end of chapter five end up? Kind of give the the short and sweet kind of summary of last week. Can we do that? The last couple weeks. No one's making eye contact anymore with me. <laughs> Love it. Love it. It's fine. It's totally fine. Well, some of you weren't here, so you get a total pass. You should totally look at me and be kind in your face. Totally fine. But if you were here, what, um, kind of how did, I don't know another way to ask, how did chapter 5 end? I want to hear from y'all. It's going to fall on you to start this one. That's what's <laughs> happening right now. Uh, working backwards, it's like they didn't cease to, to continue preaching and teaching the name of Jesus. Right. Once again, we found them getting a level of persecution from the governing authorities. Right. Bringing them to jail. Yes. And, and what happens when they get in jail? Let me help you throughout your summary here. What happens? They take them to jail. They say, tomorrow we're going to question you with the whole council, the Sanhedrin the different branches of the government at the time. And what happens? They come the next day to the jail and, alas, they are not there, right? What are they doing instead? They're preaching. They're teaching again. This is what they told them not to do. They're like, well, I'm putting you in prison because you're teaching. The next morning, they're just teaching, right? So then they go and get them. What, what happens? In what way do they get them? Exactly. Exactly. So we have, we find, and this is going to end up being, I think this point, this one thing, is going to end up, there's a lot of things happening in this next chapter, and a lot of repercussions of this power struggle, because of this. If, if they weren't afraid of the people right now, then I don't think we would, we would have, it would take a lot longer to get to where we're going to be with Stephen, and the anointing of these, these um, kind of like the first deacons, Ish. All this kind of thing happens because of that. Okay, So they, they go and get them. Um, they kind of coax them back to be questioned. And what happens then? How does the questioning go? They, Peter's just like, well, they ask him to stop. And Peter's just like, I, I can't and I won't. No. We're not going to do that. So then they send them out. And who speaks up to kind of try to add some, some wisdom you remember the guy's name? Gamaliel. Gamaliel. What's he say to do? He says there's like these previous prophets that have not like in the name of Jesus, but of false gods, and they just end up like once the prophets die, the movement kind of dies shortly after. Right. And so his argument is that, well, if they we kill Jesus, so the movement should die off soon. If it's of man and then if it's of God, then we don't want to be on that, the wrong side. Right. Right. He kind of gives this very interesting take. We don't picture the Pharisees 
for the Sadducees or scribes or the priests of the day having, right? So it seems not everyone is even sure of what they should do, how they should come about this. It's gaining such momentum and such power and authority, right, that, that one guy even says, look, just wait. Wait for this to die off. Don't push it, okay? Because if it doesn't die out and this continues to grow and this movement continues to move forward, we might find ourselves against God and that is not where we want to be, right? And so then what happens to those apostles that were imprisoned? They beat them. They beat them, right? Not the sterile way of probably hurting them. Not like the slap on the wrist kind of beating. They, they beat them to show them and show the church what happens when you get out of jail, right? When you're not supposed to. When you, when you go against the ruling party of the day. When you go against the way religion is always done, this will be what happens, right? And that's, that's their show of force back, right? So then we have, let's look at chapter 6. Let's get there. And we've kind of talked about this. We talked about this a little, actually, at um, uh, Full Circle or Dudes and Brews or Guys Drinking Together or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> I don't know what the name of it is anymore. But Football. Dudes and Brews, maybe. Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit there um, because, see, the, the the things that are happening now with the church is, is everyone is trying to feel out what the church is and what it's going to be. And we'll, we'll see it here at the start. The, the ruling class of the day doesn't know what to do with it. The people themselves are just kind of going with what the Holy Spirit tells them in the moment, right? They don't seem to have plans on how it moves towards, which is kind of beautiful, right? Some people are probably still trying to either accept or deny the notion that they are going to be the ruling power in the day, right? You remember, even, even after Jesus' death, what do they ask him? They're like, so, so really, now's the time, right, when we go overthrow everyone, and we're the ones, right? I mean, the, the Jews, we're going to be powerful again, right? That, this is the time. And Jesus just dismisses it and moves on. And he says, no, wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for this. So this is still a part of their psyche, their understanding, and then we have chapter 6 begins. It says, Now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Jews. Wait, what's a Hellenist, by the way? Anyone know? Greek. A what? Greek. A Greek what? Jew. A Greek Jew in this situation. But yes, the Greek people. So it would be like the, the foreigners of the church, basically. So it would be like either the ones that sojourned there, Right? And then maybe witnessed Pentecost and stayed? Or it would just be because Jerusalem is a, becoming a more and more um, metropolis type of area. And so it's no longer as homogenous as it once was. And so there's lots of different people moving in. But these would be Greek Jews. Okay? Some probably proselytes, meaning they, they came to Jewish faith after. Okay? They weren't born into it. And then some would be, just be Jewish people that grew up in you know, Thessalonica or something. Right? So far away. So that's what they're talking about here. So a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected by the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out amongst you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. But we will continue to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, maybe? But that feels bad calling him Timon, because then Pumbaa should be there as well. This one has made me laugh all week, all week. No joke. I've been like, it's Timon. Um, anyway, I'm sure he's a really good dude, right? Um, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So, a proselyte from Antioch here. Again, I just think it's intriguing. They choose someone amongst who the complaints are arising, which is good. Seems smart, right? They prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, why... I want to get y'all's honest take. Because we're about to get to Stephen. And I don't think the first part of chapter 6 is like the intro to what happens after. I think this is important. It's written on purpose. Why would this be something that we have to have a paragraph or so about? Why does Luke choose to discuss how this works? Why is this important? What's the gravity of this first section here? Just thoughts. Beautiful, okay? I think that's a lot of it. Because later, in fact, we even have, when, once we talk about giftings and structure of church, how it starts to actually structure itself, this seems to be kind of a big catalyst in that, right? And what was the, what was the cause for them doing this? What was the cause for them needing to take a moment and structure things a certain way? Is there a complaint? Right, a need, a complaint, right? Something wasn't happening. And that complaint, that need was what? Yeah, there were certain widows that were falling through the cracks. People were being neglected. And at this time, it seems that the complaint would have been that it's not the Hebrew, the, the national, the, the true, right? The true Jewish widow that's being neglected. It's the proselyte, the outsider, the Hellenist. Right, The one coming to the faith that may not know all the background of Judaism. May not know and understand everything that's going on. Right, May not have an advocate for them. And I find it intriguing that the early church has to grapple with things like that. Because they do. Somehow, some widows were just, were just left out of the daily distribution, of the love and care of the church, of how things were getting done. And I love too, I mean, I don't love that that's happening. <laughs> it just seems like a normal problem. It seems like something that, that would come about to anyone. But the church sees it, and then what do they do? They act right then. They say, okay, we've had these complaints. We have to do something about this, right? And what was their solution? Point people to care. Right point people who would be great at caring, right? Kind of like what what Allison said. Let's see where the gifts of our people are, and let's get them to move forward. Let's get them to act. Let's get them to to work. Let's give them something that is fully theirs that they can take full responsibility for, right? And the the apostles even say, like, look, we, we can't do this. We will not have time to preach the word. We are too stretched. That's why people are falling through the cracks. 
even. We can't deal with people's food right now. We have this to do. Something has to be done. We have to find some people to do this. Some, we need to take some steps here. And they do, which is beautiful. They anoint these people. They, the whole church seems to be okay with it, right? After the church says, oh, that's a good idea. Let's move forward with that. Then they choose some people. They anoint them. They become these first servants, these first deacons. These people that are making sure everyone has their needs met, right? And I think what's intriguing about this is, again, structure starts to come to play now, right? There starts to be tasks for everyone in the early church. Um, They start to give responsibility in a different way, right? In a way that says, no, really, look, lead in this. We're praying over you, anointing you by power to do it. And as they do this, when that happens, we see those people again begin to speak up. We see them start to to change the way uh, the church is seen. We see them start to do different things. And here, I mean, I, I think we're not, this is such an easy correlation for us to surely see, right? Like, the church already sees its need to not let the main leadership, the apostles, be the experts who do everything. Them doing everything had widows falling through the cracks that were Hellenist. Them doing everything isn't cutting it. The apostles don't have the full control and power and means to take care of everyone. So people say, let's do this. Let's let's send someone to take care of it. Let's send someone to become an expert at this and to take charge and make it happen. And I know, I know we, we understand that. I just think it's beautiful to see the first church need to do it. Right? I mean, we live in a, a bubble of subculture that really does say, you know, let's bring an idea to the pastor or to the elders and then have them do it. Right? That's kind of, I mean, our church hopefully doesn't do things that way, and we can't do things that way. We see the limitations of that, the way our church is structured. But it's still somewhat in our psyche that that's probably the churches we've been a part of, or those are the churches we've seen, or our friends go to that, or whatever else. And that's how it works. Well, here we've seen that doesn't even work for them. That doesn't work for the early church. That doesn't work for the initial Holy Spirit senders to the world. You know, It doesn't work for them. They needed something different, and so do we. And I think it's beautiful to see that, and it's worth noting, and I don't think it's just in there to intro Stephen, who's about to be martyred. I don't think that's the reason. I think it's to show that it's necessary even for us, okay? So, but let's go on. Let's move on. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. This is big also, because the priests are part of the ruling class. They're an arm of... Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, they're an arm of the experts of religion in Jerusalem. And some of them are starting to come to faith, okay? Which power struggle, again, we have to think about it in in real world application. And then it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, and the Senethans, and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. 
but they could not withstand the wisdom and the Holy Spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up fault witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Which, did Jesus say that? <laughs> yes. He did kind of say that. Half true for what they're trying to say, but yes, he did. He said the temple will be destroyed. It will be rebuilt again in three days. You will know a new way. No longer will you, will you speak of Moses and the prophets the way you do now, but now you will know the word for yourself, right? You will know it for yourself and you will speak it for yourself. And then we keep going. As they set a fault witness, witness, they said these things, for we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the place and will change the customs Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So we have this very interesting story of one of these first servants that they, they honor and anoint. And they say, okay, you are going to be one of the ones in charge of making sure everyone gets their needs met. You will be this, this one who makes sure no one falls through the cracks. And then who, I love, I love this. It's sad, but it's, it's so beautiful. The first one that they choose to lie about and actually try to take to trial is one of the servants. It's beautiful. It's not the, the early church most vocal leader. It's not Peter, right? It's not, you know, John who stayed with Jesus to the cross, who's this great giant of a hero in all these people's eyes. It's not the one who, as he walks through town, they put cots down so that his shadow may pass on them. The most seemingly, the ones with great power that, that are really guiding this movement. The ones that seem to be the biggest trouble to figure out how to dispute. The biggest trouble on how to, how to stop them seem to be the servants here. We have story after story later of who Paul... Saul, at the time, starts to go after, who they start to imprison, who they start to jail. It's these. It's the, the normal folks. It's the, the, it's the guy who, yes, is filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with power. He was doing amazing and beautiful things. But is, he's charged with taking care of the widows. It's like his job. That was the dangerous one. That was the one that they said, you know what, we have to stop that. We need to stop him. He can't continue to do that because that we can't argue about. That we can't fight. We can't take the bread out of the widow's hand who he gives it to. The people will kill us. We can argue theology with Peter. We can say the miraculous things he done, he's done aren't true. We can, we can argue with these apostles. We can say, no, they're not really the way. We can see how it shakes out, and maybe they just grow tired of speaking every day. Maybe they, go tired, they grow tired of teaching in the temple courts. But this one is different. 
these people are different. They, how, do you, how do you speak against someone whose job it is, is to make sure widows don't go hungry? What do you do about that? can't argue with that, right? I mean, can't argue with the one who just really wants to make sure everyone has what they need and is willing to distribute money from other people selling their stuff for. That's the, the beauty of the kingdom right now. Is that, yes, show it in the miraculous and the healing of the sick. Also, power and beauty of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom showed by making sure widows have food. Making sure religion isn't tainted by the world, as James says later, right? Take care of the orphan and the widow and make sure your religion is untainted by the world around you. That's true religion. That's what he says. Because that's the beauty of what religion actually is. That can't be thought about. I mean, what are you going to do to someone like that? And so what do they do to Stephen? Well, first, what do they try to do? Yeah, they just debate him publicly, right? They just say, "Oh," and and I don't know if this is the the way. I can't. I can't. This is just my probably thought and interpretation of the deal. Not like, well, doesn't say this, but it seems a smart one for them to pick on, right? Let's debate this guy who's not one of the main teachers. Who's not doing whatever. His job is to take care of widows. Let's debate him in public. Let's make him look stupid. For doing what he's doing. We can't come against him for feeding widows. So let's just, let's attack this. Let's debate him publicly. And how does it go? It was poorly for, for them. Not Stephen. Stephen does great, right? <laughs> this is the answers full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Right? Answers full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And so then what do they have to do? This is what you said. They yeah. make up lies that he's been preaching against God and Moses. Right. So the only thing we can do is just to, to lie about what he said. And so as they do, they take him and they actually get him. They put him before the council. They set up fault witnesses who say this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. We have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. What is his response? Angelic face. <laughs> just that. Right? Just looks like an angel. Just so interesting to me. That one's funny to me. Like, I don't know if Luke is like, when he's you know, hearing about this and about to write it down and send it to people, he's like, what, what was his response? And they're like, he looked like an angel. He's like, what does that mean? They're like, like he looked like an angel, you know? I don't even know what that looks like. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Neat, <laughs> I guess. Does it have a back glow, or is he just peaceful, at peace with this, right? I, I don't understand, I don't understand this very well until we continue. But again, the, the interesting thing here, and we're not even getting into verse 7. We're going to be honoring of their time as they're doing East and all that. I think one of the, the, again, to me, one of the more beautiful things about this is, yes, there's been some persecution, right? They've beat some of the apostles and sent them back um, embarrassingly beaten, right? Which is 
It's an ugly thing. Probably gave some people some pause. Right after, they had this complaint of, look, we need to distribute the authority here. We, we need to like make sure everyone's getting food. It's, it's nice that we're saying nice things. It's nice that we're doing miraculous things. But it's not good that these Hellenist widows don't have bread. They're starving. This is not okay. This does not show us in a good light if there's outsiders starving amongst our faith. We can't let that happen. So they anoint people. They say, you're right. Okay, let's get these, these people. Let's say, this is your task. You've got this. Please, with all the Holy Spirit's power, feed them. Make sure everyone has what they need. They begin to do that. Stephen, for whatever reason, is just, just this beautiful individual that in doing his job and in speaking with all wisdom and authority and the Holy Spirit and power, starts having accusations against him he's about to be basically on trial for falsehood. Sort of. Again, he did say, no, no Jesus really is going to tear this down. And it will be rebuilt in a new way. It will not be as your customs of Moses. It will be different. Right? And I'm just, I'm so caught by the first person who's about to be martyred and stoned to death um, the ones who seemingly are causing and will continue to cause the most trouble for the Jewish elite and what will be the most trouble for the Roman world are, are not always these apostles although they are and they're doing wonderful things I'm not saying, I'm not demeaning who they are and what they do but it's the Stephen's of the world, we're about to meet a guy named Philip, him, and taking the gospel to another continent. We're about to talk about all these people that go with Paul and travel with Paul, all these women who begin to church, plant churches in their homes. We're about to start talking about the church morphing into a very different structural church to where it's, it's no longer the apostles deciding everything for the church and how it goes. It's, it's starting to be, people are starting to realize that the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the actions of the Spirit should be done and are handed out to everyone. And this is the beginning of that. And that's what is so beautiful about the way, about all the power struggles taking place here. Because again, the Jewish elite can fight against 11 apostles, right? Or the 12th they cast lots to annoy, right? They can fight against them. They can, they can speak against them. They can beat those. But you can't beat hundreds and hundreds of people that start to experience the Holy Spirit for their own. And, and as the apostles start to just hand it out to them, not in their cultural way, not in the way they were grown up to see how religion works, as they start to hand out the power and fully bless that and anoint it, the church goes crazy. It really... It gets dispersed by persecution and hardship and by the handing off of gifts to other people and it reaches the world. We're witnessing it here as we read. That is how it goes. We must take that to heart and have that be in our DNA also. Our church is the most beautiful and it will be the most far-reaching and it will be the most powerful, true display of the bride of Christ it can be when all of us 
are taking hold of this Holy Spirit and enjoying how it blesses the world through us. We will enjoy, like Ephesians talks about, the, the things, the good works prepared beforehand for, for us to do. For you to do. That is when the church is hard to come against. That is when the political class gets desperate here and start to martyr folks. That is when we see the church go to Africa. We see it start to go to Europe. We see all these crazy things take place because of this. We, we have to take that to heart. We, we have to say that that is a beautiful way. And it's just, again, the first become last and the last become first that first martyr, the job is to, their like main task is to make sure the outsider, less Jewish widow has bread on their table every day. It's beautiful. It shows the kingdom in, in a new light that the, the, the Jewish elite can never understand that. The, the Sadducees are never, never going to be able to comprehend how that's working. How that changed the world. We see them struggle with it for chapters and chapters. Um, here's what I want us to do. We want us to stand together. We're going to enter a time of, of communion in this way. With this thought. And it's that yes, the power of speaking, the possible charisma, the sheer miraculous that happened through these early apostles was amazing and is growing the church. Again, I'm not downplaying that in any way. That's, it's wonderful and crazy and beautiful. People are getting healed. Um, they're leading the charge and having people sell things to make sure everything has, everyone has what they need. It's great. But also, the Stevens and Timons are the ones that the, the, the ruling elite can't, can't come against. They, they don't know how. They get desperate because of. And they're, they're going to kill one of them this, this quickly. And I just think, again, we need to remember that that is us. That is us. That the Holy Spirit is given to all of us. That as a we, the arms and hands of this we, this church, is us. None of us have a small role in that. I mean, we, we get into what you're talking about as we go, but it's like the, the, the different gifts that people have, the different challenges that they've grown up with, the different circles they travel in, the different people that respect them. That is where we are to influence, and that is where the church begins to influence and change and grow and expand and disperse. And, and why we have it. And so let's, let's pray. And I want us to, again, as we get our, our minds and our spirits ready for communion, ready for saying, yes, Jesus, we are with you. We are remembering you. We cannot say, yes, Jesus, we remember you, unless we remember that the least of these do great things, until we remember that, that making sure that the orphan and the widow have bread on their table is what we're dipping our bread for. That is 
We are saying we are a part of all of that. We are saying we are a part of the body of Jesus, the bride of Jesus as a whole. So as you partake, we have to remember that also. Okay? 